Good morning, everybody. Is that in, yeah? Okay. So, the reason for the mince. Well, for many years, the story goes that a pastor delivered sermons week by week for exactly 30 minutes. He wore no watch, and there was no clock in the church building either. And yet, every week, week by week, he hit 30 minutes bang on. But at last, the inevitable happened. One Sunday, 30 minutes came and went. Then 40. Then 50. It tipped past the hour mark, and the only reason he stopped is because he saw a few of the people sitting in the chairs yawning and falling asleep. So he concluded the meeting. On the way home, he was chatting with his wife. And his wife said, I've always wanted to know, how exactly did you make sure that you finished every meeting on 30 minutes? And he goes, it's quite simple, really. As I walk up to the front of the church to deliver the sermon, I place a mint in my mouth. And I know that that mint takes exactly 30 minutes to finish. So she goes to him, well, what on earth happened today? He goes, there was a spare button in my trouser pocket. (laughs) That's got nothing to do with today's talk, but I still thought it was funny. So you can pass the mints around. And if you want me to finish, just start to yawn and look incredibly bored. And then I'll conclude. So, this morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about distractions. Who gets easily distracted? Be honest with yourselves. So, why distractions? Well, usually God gives me something weeks in advance to start to show on a Sunday. And this time, it got to Thursday, and I was starting to get a little bit panicky. I was saying to T, I've got nothing to share upon. And yet I had one conversation with her, and a good friend of mine sent me a couple of scriptures, and hey presto, this is what you've got today. That very day, the first day of the week, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus, and they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped looking downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place here in these days? And he replied to them, What sort of things? They said to him, The things that happened to Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. How our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since this took place. Some women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back and reported that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who announced that he was alive. Then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but him they did not see. And he said to them, 
Oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all the prophets spoke! Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther. But they urged him, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that, while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem, where they found gathered together the eleven and those with them who were saying, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then the two recounted what had taken place on the way and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Probably a familiar story for a lot of us. Heard it many times before. So these guys were walking down the road. They were downcast. They were upset. All that they thought was going to happen hadn't happened. They thought Jesus was going to come and establish a mighty kingdom and they were going to be part of that. And yet they'd seen this man taken, crucified, dead as far as they were concerned. Sometimes we refuse to see things the way that God has already declared it to be. We're right in the midst of things, but we sort of seem to miss it. So is it yet our distractions that keep us from truly developing? Well, I'm going to break down this morning, as quickly as I can, into four key elements of spiritual distraction. I'm going to look at circumstances, I'm going to look at discouragement, I'm going to look at ignorance, and I'm going to look at unbelief. You see, as they were talking with each other, what were they saying to each other as they walked along that road? I can't believe what's just happened, probably. I never thought it would come to this. They were walking around in a complete spiritual blindness. They'd been with him. They'd talked with him. They'd eaten with him. They'd spent time with him. And yet sometimes our focus gets put so much on our circumstances... That's where our focus starts to go. That we forget everything that we know to be true about him and what he says. And people tend to then start to blame God. God, why have you left me in the midst of all this stuff? Do you not know what my life is like? Do you not know how hard it is? They don't see the fact that trials are one of God's ways for shaping us as human beings. That's what he puts us through the mill for. It's to shape us into the exact shape that he wants us to have. And yet suddenly we think God is completely against us because times become hard and we get worn down and we get weary and it's relentless. And is this ever going to stop God? Think about those disciples in the boat when they went across the water. And Jesus said, we're going to go across to the other side. He went to have a kip. And the waves started coming and the storm blew up. 
What was their first response? They didn't remember that Jesus said, we're going to the other side. All they thought was, we're going to die! Jesus, wake up! Don't you know what's going on? And Jesus rebuked them. Said, what little faith you have got. They were terrified, the disciples. Yeah, granted. I think I would have been as well, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't mind boats when they're sort of going fairly smooth. I've been on boats when they're quite choppy. Watch everybody else vomiting all around me. It's not pleasant. So you can imagine, these guys were fishermen. So I could imagine that that storm was not a small storm. The winds are howling and the waves are beating against you. Circumstances are there by God to draw you to him rather than away from him. And I think for some of us, including myself, I'm talking to myself this morning as well, I always think God's got it in for me rather than him trying to pull me close to him. So use circumstances to cause you to look for Jesus. Discouragement. Who gets discouraged from time to time? Those guys walking along the road had it all planned out how they thought it was actually going to be. God didn't do it the way that they wanted it to be done. How many times have you turned around to God and said, God, why haven't you done this? If only you would just do this little thing for me, everything's going to be okay. Anybody said that before? I know I have. Just this one little thing. Please let my lottery ticket drop in this week. Just by way of example. God's got a plan. And his plan is absolutely perfect for each one of us. He sees our beginning from our end. I've talked about that before. But if he sees our beginning from our end, he knows our destination point. He knows where he's taking us to. And do we think we're bigger than him in order to tell him how to get us there? Sometimes we plead. Even Jesus did that, didn't he? In the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what was going to come up. And he turned to his father and he called out. And he goes, will you take this cup away from me? That would have been me shouting very loud at that point, let me tell you. But, and it was the big but, wasn't it? Not my will, but yours. So in some of these circumstances, rather than ranting at him, can we not genuinely be like Jesus? And say, in all of this, I don't understand it, I'm frustrated, I'm upset, I am beaten, I'm hurting, but not my will, but yours. You see, discouragement is there, and it can cause you not to see Christ in the midst of the circumstances that you find yourself in. Maybe you heard the story about wives of two church vicars. They were both busy sewing patches on their husband's trousers. This is going back a few years, obviously. 
One said to the other, you know, I think my husband's going to resign from being a vicar. He's had enough. He's saying that nothing is getting accomplished. He's not prepared to do anything anymore because he's not going to do it on his own. It's just not fair, is what he's saying. So he's probably just going to quit. The other wife turned and said, really? Well, my husband was saying to me just the complete opposite. He really senses the power of the Spirit moving in a mighty way, even if things are not going his way. He knows God is close and knows that God energises him and causes him to be optimistic for his future. They continue to sow, the first wife sewing a patch on the back of her husband's trousers, the other wife sewing a patch on the other guy's knee. Sometimes we've got to pray, people. Sometimes we've got to get on our knees. Sometimes we've got to lay before the King of Kings and not worry about wearing our trouser knees out or scuffing our knees. Sometimes we've got to get before him and take our petitions to him and not just swagger along in everyday life. Ignorance is the big one, isn't it? What's ignorance mean? Lack of knowledge. It's lack of knowledge. A man asked his wife, do you think the world's problems are caused by ignorance or apathy? She replied, I don't know, and I don't care. (laughs) The mad thing was, Jesus had already told the disciples what was going to happen to him. Many times over. Don't we sit here week after week, different people come and share. They share with us the truths of God, which are all well and good, and we write them neatly in our notepads, and we take them home, we put it on the shelf, ready for next week's meeting, and never go back to that book again to look at it. It's crazy, isn't it? All those truths that get poured into us, and yet a moment of crisis comes and they're all forgotten. As soon as it becomes difficult, they're forgotten. I mean, Jesus even told the chief priests and the Pharisees, they knew what was going to happen. Matthew 27, 63. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So even the Pharisees and the chief priests knew what he said, had heard about what he was going to do. And those men, as they walked down the road, knew what was going to happen. And yet their brains were switched off. They were focused on their grief. They were focused on their fear. They were focused on all the other things that had happened. They'd forgotten about the very things that Jesus said were going to happen. And think about it. As they're talking to each other, they even said the women have been to the tomb. They'd seen it empty. They'd come back and reported to them. Hadn't they worked out that they were walking along that road three days afterwards? It's quite crazy, isn't it? But they were lost 
and a completely different mindset. And it wasn't until Jesus sat with them in the room and broke bread that their eyes were opened again and they could see. Sometimes you can't even see something when it's right in front of your face. Unbelief. Anyone think to themselves sometimes, is this thing a load of rubbish? Be honest with yourselves. Why on earth, God, have you brought me to this place called Dagenham or Goodmaze? Why have you stuck me with these bunch of people that I have to be happy with, apparently? And share life with? Why, oh why, oh why? There are much nicer places. There's much nicer people. Ignore that. But he has. He has. And that's what makes me smile every time I come here. That's why I thought Sally's word was bang on for this morning. Because as individuals, yes, God knows you. And it's caused our path to interweave and clash. I've only been here 23-ish sort of years. I'm still a newcomer, I think, for some. Some people have been here for their entire life. They've known nothing else. Do we celebrate that fact? Or do we grumble and moan and think, as soon as retirement comes, I'm out of here? Ask Richard Griffin how that goes. He's got more to do now than he had before. But that's because he knows that this is where God has got for him. And there's no better place to be than where Jesus has got for you. And you may not like it, but for this season and this time, this is where he's called you to be. See, the mad thing in the process that Jesus took them through when he sat with them, he took them back to the scriptures, didn't he? Jesus referred to the scriptures quite a lot. He knew them, inside and out. He knew all the ones that related to him. He spent time studying. I look at the things that I give myself to, that I've become quite proficient at, and think to myself sometimes, if I was proficiently giving myself to my Bible and my word and the scriptures... Would I know them more? Would that be a useful thing for me to have? So when the enemy comes around prowling and growling and complaining and accusing, rather than me sort of saying, get out of my head, or putting on a worship track, I could do exactly the same thing that Jesus did when he was tempted. And say, it is written. 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 What did the enemy do at that point? He fleed. And let me tell you, Satan himself knows scriptures probably better than most of us in this room. Let's equip ourselves with the stuff and the tools that God has given us to use. Let's take this book and get involved in it. I was provoked and challenged a few weeks ago when Daniel spoke. 
And so, so how many people actually have a physical Bible with them now? With a highlighter pen. But you can start to highlight and scribble in the stuff and scribble in the margins and write notes and say, fold a page down and go back to that. I love technology. I'm involved with it. That's what I do for a living. And yet sometimes new technologies can't replace tangible stuff. Think about it. As they walked along the road, they didn't even recognize him. They saw him as a complete stranger. And yet as he started talking with them, what did they say near the end? Their hearts burned. Once they recognized it was him, it's just like, oh, didn't our hearts burn with that stuff? Last year at Soul Survivor, a bunch of people had these banners. I thought, what on earth is that? Anybody know what WWJD stands for? What would Jesus do? They're coming back again, people. Do you ever ask yourself that question? When you're stuck in a situation, what would Jesus do? And yet, I want to flip that on its head. Because we know that Jesus is in our midst. So let's flip it to sort of say, what would I do with Jesus with me? What would I do? Because he's here. He's never left me. Doesn't forsake me. Doesn't leave me abandoned. Doesn't leave me lonely. Even though we may feel it and our brain is telling us so and the enemy is saying, nobody cares about you. Nobody's called you. Nobody's dropped you an email or a text. And in that pain of loneliness, know that you have always, 100% of the time, 24-7, 365, got a friend that knows you better than you know yourself. And that guy is Jesus. And he doesn't let you down. He doesn't let you down. You may think he does. But remember, we're on a journey. We're on pilgrimage. Sometimes I look back after the hassle and the difficulties I've been through and think, at the time, why on earth is this happening? And sometimes six months down the line, you can look back and say, thank you, God, for putting me through that. Because you've equipped me to deal with this situation or to move me on or to change the circumstance. Promptings of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the helper. We cannot do this without him. We can't. But when was the last time you allowed him to speak to you? I won these fantastic headphones in a competition a few weeks ago. Expensive headphones. One of the best features... Noise cancelling. What's noise cancelling? I put these on my head and switch them on. The world disappears. The noise disappears. And I can listen to some fantastic, wonderful music. John sits right next to me in my office. And sometimes, even when he's chatting away, you look across and think, oh, he's got the headphones on. Heard nothing that he said. 
And I think there's a place sometimes to take ourselves away to a quiet place. Jesus did it plenty of times. Take yourself to a quiet place. Spend time with your Father in heaven. And by quiet, I mean silent. If you can generate a place of just silence. I know my default always is to whack some wonderful worship track on, which gets me in the mood. Sometimes silence is a useful thing. Very difficult nowadays in the society in which we live to actually get some silence. But can I encourage you to try it? Speak to him and expect him to speak to you. And in the quietness of your heart, he'll do that. Allow him to speak to you. Don't just go always with a big, long list of, this is my shopping list for this week, God. That can be our default prayer, isn't it? Right, what's on my list today? I'd like this done, this done, this done, this done. If you tell my friend, that'd be helpful as well. And this and this and this. Oh, and don't forget this. How about asking God what he wants to do? How about getting ourselves aligned into his purposes and his plans and following what he wants us to do rather than us trying to tell him what he needs to do? We have to realise that God is with us and that we can hear his voice. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit that will lead us and guide us. He is there to be your guide. So sit quietly sometimes and listen. I'm hoping this morning, as you're in this room today, he's going to start to speak to each of you as individuals. Question is, are you listening? Question is, are you more concerned with the world's noise? As I was preparing for this, as I said, I had a conversation with T with one thing, a very good friend of mine, who knows her Bible, sent me a, I said, send me something, send me a scripture. She sent me this, Galatians 5, 7. And it was just like, everyone remember those tango adverts when the guy runs out and goes, to your face? As I read this, I had a tango moment. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? This is Paul writing to the Galatians. This kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. We are in a race. That's how Paul described it being. He wanted to run his race well. Which voice do you listen to? You see, we need to get used to listening to the voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit. We need to recognise his voice, his voice which speaks of truth and love. And we need to put the silences on, the noise cancellation to the voice of the enemy, whose default is, did God really say Did God really say? It's not going to matter if you do this. No one's going to know. 
not going to matter jumping on the internet late at night. No one's going to know. It's not going to matter fiddling the tax man. No one's going to know. And on and on and on and on. Yeah? There is someone that always knows. And that's why the Holy Spirit's there to guide us and help us over the finish line which he's got for us. Do we feel that we get weighed down with the stuff that the world chucks at us? Yeah? With the media that we read? How much time do we give ourselves to things of the world when we know that God has got an amazing plan for us? Let's not allow the enemy to distract us any longer. Satan called a worldwide convention. In his opening address to his evil angels, he said, we can't keep the Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from their conservative values. But we can do something else. We can keep them from forming intimate, abiding relationships and experience Christ. If they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So let them go to church. Let them have their lifestyles that they want. But let's steal their time so they can't gain that experience in Jesus. This is what I want you to do, angels. Distract them from gaining hold of their saviour and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. How shall we do this, shouted the angels. Keep them busy in the non-essentials of life. Invent unnumbered schemes to occupy their minds. Tempt them to spend, spend, spend and borrow, borrow, borrow. Convince both parents to go to work and work long hours so they can afford to keep their lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children and their families. And once their families fragment, soon their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so they cannot hear that still small voice. Entice them to play radio or CDs or MP3s whenever they're driving along. Keep the TV 24-7. Keep their PCs going constantly. Social media. Keep that going as well. Make sure that every single restaurant on planet Earth plays inappropriate music as background music. Jam their minds and break that union with Christ. Fill their coffee tables with magazines and newspapers. Pound their minds 24-7 a day with the terrible news that's going on around the planet. Invade their driving moments by adverts on the left and on the right. Offering free products and services and false hopes. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their holidays more tired than when they went in the first place. Let them be exhausted and not prepared for the following week to come. 
Don't let them go out into nature to reflect God's wonders. Send them to the amusement arcades, sporting events, concerts and movies instead. And when they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk so that they leave more trouble than when they first arrived. Let them be involved in soul winning, but crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek the power of Christ. Soon, once they're worn down, they'll be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and family unity for the good of the cause. It was quite a convention in the end, and the evil angels waited eagerly, causing Christians everywhere to get busy, 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 and rush here, there, and everywhere. Do you think the enemy has been successful in his scheme. We have a wonderful life. But what are we filling it with? It's time to stop, be distracted. Just by way of response... We're going to declare today that we're no longer going to focus on our circumstances, on our discouragements, live in ignorance, walk in unbelief. I want to be reading God's word. And I want to look and see Jesus in everything that I'm doing, everywhere that I go. I want to listen to those promptings of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what makes the difference. I've been here for 22, 23 years. As I waited on God with this stuff, I wept for those that are not here anymore, that I know should be. I'm not prepared to let the enemy come in and pluck any more people from our midst. It's not right. It should concern me. It should concern you. It should bother you. God's joined us together as family, as community. Let's look out for one another. Who have you got coming for lunch this week? Is it the same old people that you usually invite? Because they're your good friends and stuff? How about looking out for those that never get the invite? I want to play a track just as a way of response this morning, if you want to respond. But I ask you, if God's been prompting you and you've seen yourself in one of these circumstances, by standing this morning and sort of saying, yeah, that's me. I don't want to be there no more. I want you to move me on. I want to get real with you. If this thing is real, then let's embrace it all, genuinely.